sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Expect the unexpected in sports. That definitely was the case on Tuesday night as the Los Angeles Clippers, who it looked like were a foregone conclusion to take on the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, maybe even win the NBA championship, up 3-1 in the semifinals, and lose three straight games in one of the epic meltdowns in the NBA of all time. Welcome in. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Miss, Joe Pizzapia. Of course, we're going to hit on football and Major League Baseball today. But, Joe, that's where we got to start. You're up 3-1 in a series with no fans whatsoever. Maybe that factored into why the Clippers crumbled in the end. But Doc Rivers has now been on the other end of this more than once. And quite frankly, I got to tell you, an embarrassing way to go out with arguably the best player in the NBA. Yeah, there's a lot of fallout and figure pointing going on today. Uh, I've been reading a lot of it about uh, maybe Kawhi should have taken the regular season more serious. Maybe they should have, uh, I don't know, and individuals play defense well, but as a group, they didn't play defense very well. You're also talking about uh, a team that, look, this game was close at the half, too, and then the second half of this game, it wasn't close anymore. <laughs> and I mean, they had every opportunity to do this, and home advantage aside, uh, look, you're right. I think epic failure is the way to go about it, and I think the finger-pointing will continue to go on for the next few weeks and maybe even months afterwards, but... Uh, good on the Nuggets. Let's give the Nuggets some credit, too, and not just talk about the Clippers because it takes a lot of heart, it takes a lot of belief, and a lot of execution to get the job done, and that's exactly what they did. Another 40-point night for Jamal Murray, who now will have his work cut out for him. It'll be very interesting to see who ends up on him in the Western Conference Finals. Of course, that will begin tomorrow night, and so our tip drill will be back tomorrow. We'll break it down from DFS and wagering as well. Let's take a look at our headlines here on this Wednesday, September the 16th, right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Thanks to Jamal Murray and the Nuggets, they advanced to the Western Conference Finals to take on the Lakers. They were a prohibitive underdog in the series, as they were against the Clippers. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe Denver is that team of choice in 2020. We'll certainly see. The world's been upside down. No reason why Denver can't beat L.A. Uh, how about the Miami Heat last night? This was probably the most exciting game thus far in the NBA since it's restarted. Uh, I mean, I don't know what more you could have asked for. This game went back and forth all throughout the fourth quarter, all throughout overtime. Jimmy Butler hit two monster shots at the end of the game, and Bam Adebayo blocked a shot at the end of the game that looks like one of the all-time blocks in the history of the NBA. Magic Johnson tweeted it out yesterday saying it was that. Uh, certainly that's the poster that everyone is talking about today. A great win for Miami as they go up one nothing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Luke Voigt of the New York Yankees hit three home runs last night. The the Jays route uh, the Yankees route Jays twenty to six. And so at least for one night, it looks like the Yankees offense is back. Maybe for a couple of nights, actually. Uh, Saints look like they're going to be without Michael Thomas going into Monday Night Football. I've played this game before. I know things can change. I'm not going to sit here and go off sources and be willing to say that this is guaranteed. It doesn't look good. We'll update it, certainly. Uh, Dr. Chow will be with us a little bit later in the show. He'll have his opinion as well. And then Allen Robinson seems to be a little upset with the Chicago Bears based on his contract negotiations, and why not? He's basically had no quarterback throwing to him for the last five years and, uh, and still puts up numbers. And so, Joe, that's where we'll start today. 
a couple of receivers with some issues, one with an injury issue, one with a personal issue. And who would have had Luke Voigt winning the home run title at the beginning of the year? Not me, that's for sure. <laughs> well, the Yankees are starting to get healthy, too, which is something we talked about. You know, hey, in the last week of the season or two, can you get those guys back healthy? Can you get Garrett Cole back on track? We'll see tonight if Cole can continue to build on the last start, which was better. He got Stanton back in the lineup this week, but Voigt continues to be great. Aaron Hicks was good last night. So don't look now, boys and girls, but all of you who wanted to write off the Yankees might be a little early on that. And the Michael Thomas injury is certainly something to keep an eye on as well because we all know clearly um you know high ankle sprains can be more serious than people realize sometimes we'll see michael thomas is a warrior tough guy um before we go into the ripple effects of all that maybe traquan swift gets a little bit more of a look um maybe emmanuel sanders target share and, and jared cook all those target shares go up a little bit uh, maybe we'll even see a marquez callaway get activated for a game but i think we need a little bit more time to digest all of this first but look going back to the yankees real quick too sir I look like they're starting back on track, which is bad news in that Eastern Division and bad news for the American League. Yeah, and uh, and it is interesting, especially, I think, from the Saints' perspective, because for the last decade, uh, they've always had a 1A to the 1, and it's always been guys sort of popping in out of nowhere that have been fantasy-relevant. In one of my leagues, we ran waivers uh, overnight, actually this morning at 11 a.m., and uh, no Saints wide receivers picked up. And I think that there's a good reason for that. There is not a lot of trust with anyone outside of Sanders. And Sanders is owned in most leagues. So normally mm-hmm. you would think on a Drew Brees team, there would be a clear-cut option. But Traquan Smith has uh, floundered in the couple opportunities that he had. Callaway, maybe that's another option for them. There's going to be a low level of trust with the Saints this week and a high outcome on some player on the New Orleans Saints this week. We don't know who it will be, but there will be someone to catch six balls, 100 yards, and a touchdown, and his name is two, is TBD because it's going to happen. It's Breeze. It's 300 yards this week. Lock it in, almost guaranteed. But uh, but guessing on who that will be, that's the fun part of playing fantasy football for yeah. sure. Well, Go ahead. Real quick, got though, real quick? Just Real quick, just so you know, Breeze on the road is a different Breeze, too. I actually think the biggest beneficiary, potentially fantasy-wise, is Latavius Murray. They might get back to running the football a bit more, which is something they struggled with against the Bucks in this first game. So keep an eye on Latavius Murray. I think that might be the guy that actually gets a little bit more play. Maybe Kamara gets a little bit more action in the passing game. All right, coming up next, our fantasy standouts in Major League Baseball. How good can the Yankees be with a full lineup? We never know. Play it next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today with you here on SportsGrid. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. Just a quick reminder, our YouTube channel has all of the video from all of the I would say probably 27 hours a day of programming. I mean, honestly, we are on the air all the time for you, helping you with sports wagering, helping you with fantasy, and entertaining you during this tough time, I think. And it would be a great time for you to go over there. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our shows. Turn your notifications on. And then as soon as the shows are done, you can get them sent right to your phone, tablet, whatever you use to consume information. And if this is the very first time that you're watching Sports Grid, welcome aboard. We're a 24-hour channel here. We talk about fantasy. We talk about wagering. This show in particular is noon to 2 Eastern, 
I am Craig Mish. My co-host is Joe Pizapia. We talk fantasy with you every day from noon to two. That doesn't mean we don't do wagering. And of course, courtesy of the FanDuel Sportsbook, we're going to have some interesting wagering information coming up in about 15 or 20 minutes. Those of you who play fantasy sports and perhaps you're in a dynasty league with Tua, guess what? Adam Beasley from the Miami Herald is going to join us a little bit later in the show and tell us what the timeline is for Tua starting this season here in 2020. But before we get back to some football here, Joe, let's recap some baseball and let's take a look at last night's fantasy standouts in Major League Baseball on the DFS side and season long as well. We have Luke Voigt, who we mentioned earlier from the New York Yankees. He hit three home runs, 16, 17, and 18. He is now the Major League Baseball leader in 2020. Now, how about Tanner Houck, who really didn't have a strong pedigree for pitching in the minor leagues, but came up and basically shut down the Marlins for five innings, two hits, no one runs, and seven strikeouts, and maybe he'll be an option for the Red Sox next year. Wouldn't think he'd be their number one or number two starter. You know the names of those guys, Rodriguez and Sale. Maybe he found himself in the rotation based on this start. Probably get one more before the season ends. Dan Vogelbach, I'm not sure how many teams he's been on, but he finally hit a home run. Three hits, a home run, and four RBIs for the Brewers, who are trying to eke their way back into the postseason picture. They basically have to win five or six games in a row to get back in it. Uh, Tony Gonsolin of the Los Angeles Dodgers. We talked a little bit yesterday about him on the show. Joe, of course, did him a complete disservice and said Dak Zach Davies was great. <laughs> forgot all about Gonsolin. Gonsolin was the guy yesterday that ended up having the great start as uh, more shutout innings, and he is square in the picture for Rookie of the Year. I think Sixto Sanchez will win it, but Gonsolin's numbers are just as good. And then Cole Calhoun in a lost season for the Diamondbacks. I believe he'll be a free agent. I have to check if he got a one-year deal or two-year deal, but he's been pretty good. He had 11 home runs, five RBIs for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and uh, and certainly uh, some good pitching performances. And, of course, Luke Voigt really, I think, is that line from yesterday, Joe, because, as you know, uh, Giancarlo Stanton came back to the Yankees lineup. They're expected to get Aaron Judge back either this weekend or early next week. Uh, Gleyber Torres has had an injury as well. I, I still don't believe the Yankees could keep everybody healthy. But if they did, it would be something interesting to see when the postseason begins in less than two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, that's what it's about. I mean, uh, I always say like the teams that are most dangerous are the ones that never hit their stride until right before the playoffs begin. I saw that happen with the Nats in the second half. They had some really good momentum. And this season is obviously completely different. So maybe it all it takes is a good week of momentum to close out the season strong. And all of a sudden you can ride that momentum into the and I think anytime you have Garrett Cole in a short series, you have a distinct advantage. I'm not listening to the noise about all the struggles of Garrett Cole. Yeah, he's had a couple of mediocre starts in there, but the last start was very good. I think he's got a good opportunity tonight. But certainly if guys like Luke Voigt continue to contribute, that is going to be a huge factor because DJ Mayhew's back. Aaron Hicks is hitting. All of a sudden, the Yankee lineup is starting to get long again, and Luke Voigt is a big part of that as well, hitting in that two or three spot, depending on the day. Yeah, and uh, after the game last night, of course, the Yankees did score 20 runs. It just wasn't about Voight, of course, although he did a lot of the damage. And he talked about getting everyone back in their lineup and what that may look like offensively moving forward. Um, you know, it's our, our we're clicking at the right time, you know, right before you know playoffs start. And, you know, top to bottom tonight, um, you know, pre-scale lineup. And, you know, we're getting – a really, really good player back here soon, too, um, Aaron Judge, which even makes it even scarier. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I don't think teams were scared of us. And, you know, now we're back to being the Bronx Bombers. And, you know, I don't think people want to play us in the playoffs. 
Well, I mean, Joe, pitching is going to get you through the World Series. They definitely have a dangerous lineup, I would say. And I, I like Luke Voigt a lot. I know him from his days with the Cardinals, too. Uh, but with respect to Luke Voigt, if their pitching isn't good, I think that is more of where the issue would be. And certainly they have the best in the business in Garrett Cole. But the Yankees lineup hasn't been all that formidable with the exception of the last couple of days. And so we'll see what the outcome is for them. But certainly they'll be a favorite, no doubt, going into the postseason because the Yankees, like everyone else, like Notre Dame and like uh, like the Dallas Cowboys, are always going to be a favorite because you're paying a tax on taking the Yankees. Right. Uh, but before before we wrap up our, our discussion here on baseball today, let's take a look at the home run leaders for 2020 and see where we're at. Because right at the top there is Luke Voigt, who was nowhere on the board on the fan sports book to win the home run title. And so, simply put, if he wins it, no one is cashing this year. Nobody had that. Uh, Nelson Cruz, 16 home runs on the season. He could still, of course, catch Voigt. So could Mike Trout. He is right there with 16. How about Adam Duvall, who hit three home runs one game, three home runs another game, and hit nine the rest of the way. He's got 15 bombs on the season. Mookie Betts has 15. Jose Abreu, who at this stage right now, if the season ended today, could edge Trout for the American League MVP. I do think that there's a chance of that happening right now. And then Fernando Tatis Jr., who will be in the NL MVP conversation, has 15 home runs. So uh, Joe Voigt has a two-home run lead with less than two weeks to go. I would suppose that he's got a great shot to win the home run title, but with names like Cruz and Trout and even Mookie Betts behind him, I would not say it's a foregone conclusion. No, it's definitely not a foregone conclusion. There's still plenty of time. One good weekend, especially when you see the totals here. I mean, we had a team score 29 runs last week. Uh, yesterday, somebody scored 20. Somebody scored 18. I mean, it's absolutely crazy how many runs are being scored. And we're talking giant chasms of runs. So anything can happen. Clearly, pitching is at an all-time low here where we are this season. That is no doubt. And the, the thought of expansion is just terrifying to me. However... I'm going to throw this caveat in there, too. As surprising as Luke Voigt is on that list, Adam Duvall that I can't get over. That is shocking. That is thing. He was a guy basically an afterthought coming into the season. And if you look at the track record of Adam Duvall, this is a guy that had 25, 30 home run power, clearly had some swing and miss, clearly had some other issues. But this renaissance of Adam Duvall to be in this conversation at all is absolutely incredible. And it's been a huge contributing factor because the Braves have been missing a lot of guys. That lineup has been very inconsistent in terms of who's been in it. And Adam Duvall getting as red hot as he's been the last month has really been a big factor. So I want to give a shout out to that guy because who saw that coming in 2020? You have that on your bingo card. I can tell you Adam Duvall being in the home run race was definitely not on my bingo card. Yeah, and it's interesting with Duvall because he, he went into the year as an extra guy and like a double extra guy, essentially, not even the fourth or even fifth outfielder. Remember, they called up Christian Pache at one point. Uh, look, Marcakis opted out. That started the ball rolling with Duvall for him to be with the team. Then when you thought that Duvall was going to be out, Ronald Acuna Jr. got hurt. And then, of course, a designated hitter was in play. So Ozzie Albies was out, and there was an opportunity for him to play again there. Now the Braves are getting fully healthy, but you got to play Duvall. I mean, Enciarte just basically is going to have to sit, and they'll have to figure out something to do with Enciarte next year. I, I know he's signed, but they have to you know, sort that situation out. Uh, look, Braves are getting back some pitching. They got Cole Hamels back. They got Ian Anderson. They're getting Max Freed back. They're 
talking about Fulton Awich being called up. And I think those decisions have to be made, if I'm not mistaken, for soon. So, uh, yeah, Braves look good. They're right in that perfect spot to capture the two or the three seed in the National League. And provided they continue to play the way that they are, I think they'll probably get there. All right, uh, let me review what's coming up next. First of all, we got Chris on the update. So he'll tell you everything that's going on in fantasy and reality. And then coming up, we're going to talk about some potential trade targets in fantasy. Maybe some players who could still be sitting out there that, owners are not in love with that you can make a trade for it is waiver wire wednesday on the show which running backs which receivers specifically should you be picking up and then in our second hour of the program today if you're going to be with us for the entire two hours live or you're watching on demand uh dr chow will be with us pro football doc uh doc he's going to go over all of the injuries in the nfl not just the skill position players, but also some defensive and offensive players that could potentially affect things in fantasy as well. And Adam Beasley from the Miami Herald talks about the latest with Devontae Parker's injury and also discusses their quarterback situation as well. More fantasy sports today after Chris's update is coming up. So stay on the grid. We're right back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today with you here on SportsGrid. Craig Mitch along with Joe Pizzapia. And look, we are week one into the fantasy football season uh, week two is coming up tomorrow night. Of course, it will begin. And probably if you're going to look to make a trade this early in the season, you're going to have to do it before tomorrow night. Some leagues don't even allow trades uh, after Thursday, which doesn't make a little bit of sense. You don't want teams after the deals, after players are played to sort of lock up on, on players that are playing extra games over the course of the season, because that's what will happen if you trade for a player that you already played, and then you end up moving him, someone uh, that plays tomorrow night, whether it's Cincinnati or Cleveland. Um uh, so, uh, Joe, in terms of players that you've been looking at, and you know, I, I think before we get into this in terms of players, as a rule of thumb, I personally have never made a fantasy trade this early in the season in fantasy football. Never. I, I can't. I'm thinking. I was thinking this morning when I was looking at it. And it's not that the players aren't viable in terms of talking about it, but I personally could never endorse. Uh, trading any of my players after just one week unless I was in full panic mode that, you know, like I, I, many years ago I drafted uh, David Johnson with the first overall pick. Of course, David Johnson got hurt. He was out for the year. Okay, yeah, like at that point. But I haven't seen anything that would put me in full panic mode yet. I suppose, if I'm not mistaken, maybe if you're a Le'Veon Bell owner, you would probably have to figure mm. something out pretty quickly because he's the highest guy to be out for a period of time. I'm not quite yet certain on Michael Thomas, because I don't think anybody is quite certain on Michael Thomas at this point. So have you made a trade this early on in any fantasy football season? I received a trade offer already this morning. So yes, in some leagues, you're going to get trade offers. And in some leagues, there are people. Uh, look, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't like to go that quickly and, and give my a little bit more time to evaluate, especially if I spent all these months and months uh, doing my homework on these players, and I have them. I want to see what they are after more than just one game before I jump ship on anybody. Uh, but Le'Veon Bell is that first one that you mentioned, too, that I think you really have to understand that if you drafted Le'Veon Bell, not only is the injury a concern, but the use is a concern and the relationship's a concern. There's a lot of concerns there. So what do you do? You can go to the waiver wire, and maybe you're able to pick up a Malcolm Brown or a Naheem Hines. But what if you don't? What if you miss out there? And if you do, then it's time to start kind of kicking the top 
hires on some guys that might be on some rosters that may or may not be available. The first guy I think you want to kick the tire on a little bit is Zach Moss because this is another one of those rookies that I think if you watched yesterday, excuse me, on Sunday, you saw some good things out of Moss. You saw Singletary kind of be, let's just say middling, you know, kind of what Singletary can be. Singletary definitely is a guy that is capable of breaking a big play. We saw it last year. In fact, we saw it against the Jets last year in week one. But it feels like Zach Moss in terms of role is going to be a steady scene. Seems like his around the goal line we want to keep an eye on. And I think that is a positive thing. So if you are out of these sweepstakes in the waiver wire and you don't pick up the Benny Snells of the world, you're not able to get them for you get outbid or you don't have the waiver priority, maybe. I think Zach Moss is a guy that did not go off last week, but did have a good game, did have a touchdown, did have a role already week one as a rookie. And I think that is important. And I think there might be some people that look at it and go, oh, it's a timeshare. You want this Moss thing's going to be a headache. Eh, I'm going to him. And I think that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to buy more. Maybe you see more of Zach Moss and start to like more of Zach Moss. So you're right. Trades are difficult week one. However, I do think there's opportunity there. And I think this kid showed me enough football sense that I was intrigued. And the Bills showed me that they are introducing him. And that also is a big positive in my world. Yeah, and I and I think that Moss will have some sort of role. And again, uh, he may not be the sexiest player the rest of the season, and he has definitive competition there in Singletary. But if you have injuries to some of your players or ineffectiveness, he may be somebody to hang on to. I'm, I'm not giving up on Singletary by any means. It just seems like a strict time split with them. It's a good football team, though, and they're going to have some good matchups over the course of the season. Uh, at wide receiver, uh, Joe, Jacksonville uh, played pretty well in week one. And, uh, and DJ Chark was not their primary receiver, uh, ironically, in, in the first week of the season. Um, there's probably a thought process that he is Gardner Minshew's primary receiver, and this was just a one-game situation. And if that was the case, it would make Chark an interesting ad. How many games do you think Jacksonville is going to be up in? I don't think many. I think last week was a bit of an anomaly. And if you think that too, this might be your only window to purchase your shares of DJ Shark. DJ Shark had a thousand yards last year and eight touchdowns. The guy is a terrific route runner. This is a team that is probably going to be playing from behind most of the time. DJ Shark is a very good fantasy investment. He had a bad week one, but also game script didn't really go his way. And I think it also, you know, people around the league are starting to realize that, hey, this guy's pretty good. We have the game plan for him. And look, they did a good job of game planning a little bit for him. But I think that's a complete one-off, and I think people will look at that. They will look at the Jacksonville offense, generally speaking, kind of find them underwhelming, as they should, and not realize that they have a really good fantasy asset potentially on their team. Maybe some people just ended up with DJ Shark in a draft, and they said, okay, I'll take a shot on him. He was good last year. Week one, I'm sure people could look at that stat line alone and react to it because it wasn't a good one. But I think that there's going to be a lot of better days ahead for Shark, and I think this might be maybe the only opportunity you have to get him off somebody else's roster and onto your own. All right, and then uh, finally, a look at the tight end position. And last week, Joe, Chris Herndon, who has had all kinds of different issues since he's been with the Jets, finally looked like he was going to deliver some promise on the season. And certainly at this point, with their lack of running game, which would, would appear, although, I, you know, who knows? Frank Gore may rush for 200 yards this week. This guy just is, never stops. Uh, but Herndon would seem to be an extra option, at least for Sam Darnold, while those young receivers are ready. 
Yeah, and also while Le'Veon Bell is out, and I think we keep talking about the ripple effect of injuries when you have Michael Thomas out, how does that affect the rest of the offense? And we'll wait and see. Again, I have my point of view on that one. I heard Michael Fabiano, who's a friend of the show here, has been on plenty of times with us. He kind of took that same path, which always makes me feel better if that's my mindset. Somebody else who I think is smarter than me has that kind of mindset too, then I think we're getting closer to some reality there. But I'm going to take a look at Herndon, and I think this guy is going to see more of a target share. They're going to have to throw the ball a little bit more. They can try to run all they want with the guys that they have with the Jets. I think it's going to be underwhelming. And I would think in the game script that they have coming up, especially this week, they're going to be playing from behind once again with the 49ers who got beat at home, and I'm sure they're going to take it out on the Jets. So it's a really good pass rush from the 49ers, which means what? They're probably going to have to get rid of the ball quickly if you're Sam Darnold. And that means probably a little bit more look to the tight end and guys like that. Being able to matriculate the ball downfield might not be the easiest thing for the Jets offense this week. So that's going to favor Crowder, who you already have, and you're not getting Crowder from anybody. But Herndon is an interesting guy as well, and people who had injuries already to Blake Jarwin, or maybe you had a, a bad first week of Hayden Hurst, or there's a few guys tight end-wise in that mid to lower tier that didn't quite perform. Austin Hooper did not really get involved in the offense, as a lot of people were concerned. Herndon might be a very easy guy to kind of uh, an ancillary receiver, get back a guy like Herndon, be able to start him, I think, for the next couple weeks and then see what's out there. But I would also I know about later, too, is look at Logan Thomas, too, as another guy to add, potentially. Uh, probably not owned on a lot of rosters. But I think those three guys right now can all be fantasy contributors. Notice none of them are big names. Because like Craig said, I don't think in week one you can start prying off big names. I don't think that's going to happen. However, I will ask you this question. Do you think people will start listening and panicking to offers on Michael Thomas because of the high ankles? And we've seen that part. Can you offer maybe a, a low-end number one wide receiver and another piece? Does Adam Thielen and something else, maybe for Michael Thomas, get you out of bed in the morning? Is that the kind of offer you would consider if you're the Michael Thomas owner and you're worried about the next three weeks of the season, maybe? Yeah, if, if I was the Michael Thomas owner, first of all, I got to wait until I get something definitive on what the deal is because any trade that you're involved with Michael Thomas just opens the door up for some uh, unfair deal or somebody else in the league saying, how did you do that? It was unfair. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't listen. If, if there is a league out there where you're basically allowed to freely speculate and potentially make a horrible trade that could ruin the league, then trade Michael Thomas or acquire Michael Thomas. But maybe I, I would just say like tomorrow or today when we get an injury report and it says out, then okay. Then yeah. Like at that point, I think it's fair to start opening up that negotiation in, in terms of trade. But how many times have we seen this before on a number of different levels? On the one level of a player that we didn't think was seriously hurt, he's out for the year. On another level, we think he's out for the year, ends up playing in the game, right? Like Mike Evans had no shot to play last week until Saturday. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, he may play. So for me, I'd like to wait on this one. And you won't have to wait much longer. I mean, you're talking about another hour from now when their first injury report comes up. <laughs> And Joe, right. if he's listed as doubtful, guess what? There's a chance he plays this week, Monday night. So mm. I, I think it would be best to uh, hold off a day and then tomorrow open up that conversation. <laughs> and I, and I, at least that's I the way right. that, that, that I would go about it. Uh, with, with a player that's hurt, it's also not good for the league to make a speculative trade when you really don't mm -hmm. know the injury situation, at least in my opinion. I would hate to see that kind of deal happen in, in my league. Now, once uh, an injury report comes out, 
and we get some sort of determination, yeah, I think it's fair at that point. And, and also, we haven't hit, had any COVID hits yet, too. Keep that in mind. That's going to be a big part of this year That's at some true. point as well. Uh, okay, uh, a couple of quick things before we get to the waiver wire, and then we'll be able to touch on this a little bit more. One surprise, one not. We'll go to the one that's not a surprise. As uh, Ian Rappaport reports, Lindsay going to miss the next few weeks. Dr. Chow, uh, we'll talk about that coming up a little bit later in the show, more or less lays out the entire scenario for Lindsay. And so Royce Freeman, guess what, is back in the mix again. I guess he's been getting <laughs> traded for nothing or get rid of him for nothing. And then also NFL Network reported that uh, Richard Sherman got placed on injured reserve for the San Francisco 49ers, which comes out of nowhere a little bit. Now he can come back in week five, but if there's if there's one team outside of the Saints that have really been hit by injuries, Joe, it's the 49ers early on the season. It is. Injuries and hangover. It's not a good combination. They'll get right against the Jets because it's the Jets. But the 49ers are going to have a long season ahead of them because I'm telling you, I think Seattle is for real. I think they are the team of destiny this year in the West. We'll see if that pans out. But they should get right against the Jets even without Richard Sherman. If he's going to miss time, this is one of the games I think you'll predict about missing. All right, we got Waiver Wire Wednesday coming up next on Fantasy Sports Today. Who should you be picking up today? We'll let you know. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I am in two fantasy football leagues that are season-long leagues this year. One of them runs waivers this morning. The other one runs waivers on Thursday. I do prefer the Thursday one better, of course, because I get a little indication as to who's hurt and who's not. Uh, but the one waiver wire that ran this morning, before we get to the waiver wire on our show today, because I think it's pertinent uh, in this league, and I think I've been pretty transparent about this, I do play in the Phillies league, and this is the Phillies league. Uh, we drafted Cam Akers in this league. And so Malcolm Brown was on the waiver wire, Joe. And we, uh, for the first time ever in this league, which is good, uh, they finally incorporated the budget where you have a certain amount of budget to mm -hmm. use. Everyone knows what that means. If you play fantasy, if you don't, you get fake money like Monopoly. You get a certain amount at the beginning of the year. And at the end of the year, hopefully you have some left. But if you don't, the reason why is because you went all in on one person. And I'm a big advocate of doing that early on in the season. So I would ask you, Joe... Uh, Malcolm Brown and your Cam Akers owner, you have 125 <laughs> worth of free agent acquisition budget. How much should you use to acquire Malcolm Brown? And how much did he end up going for in this league? <laughs> 125, what an odd, arbitrary number. Usually it's 100. Yeah, that's okay. I'm, I'm factoring that in. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know why it was that. Uh, yeah, uh, it's 137.50. That is the budget that we have set forth for the league, and we'll see uh, how that 50 cents works out at the end. Uh, for that amount, I'm definitely going to go about probably at least a third. So I'm going to say somewhere around 45, maybe 46, potentially in that range would be my guess. Especially as the Cam Makers owner, because you don't want to be caught with your pants right. down here in a situation where Malcolm Brown runs away with that job and Acres becomes an afterthought. And I think you have to protect yourself the very least in that scenario. Or if there's an injury. To Malcolm Brown or Cam Akers, all of a sudden you have clarity, which is also a good thing. And Henderson does seem like he's got a third on the trough, at least after this first game. But keep in mind, he was injured going into the game. So I don't know if that is a factor. We'll see more in this week and the next. But what was the actual number he went for? He went for 77 of out of the 125, wow. and we, we put in a $37 bid. 
and were unsuccessful. Yeah, it would have been which more was the highest. It was the highest after the seventy-seven. The thirty-seven was, but unsuccessfully bid. Seven is unloading the tank on one guy. I mean, here's the thing. I get that in the sense of it's the Rams and they're you know you in at least one of the this better that ball league at least. That is a one because I think that's going to hinder you to no zero situation too. I know you with little leagues you can't pick up have money later on. It's going season COVID before. There's a lot of idiosyncrasies still yet to come. I think in 2020, I don't know if I want to bid quarters of my budget basically on one player to start the year, especially somebody like Malcolm Brown. But I would have been more aggressive, but I would have still still not either. All right. Well, we ended up getting Frank Gore for one dollar. So congratulations to us. <laughs> All right. Let's look at the waiver wire for this week at running back. We have Malcolm Brown, eighteen percent owned. Naheem Hines on the Colts, twenty-eight percent. Joshua Kelly. Uh, from the Chargers. These are all players, by the way, that are going to get added this week. Benny Snell, 16%. Adrian Peterson, 34% owned. And then Peyton Barber was only 3% owned. And, and Joe, I think in all fantasy leagues, every name on this list is going to get added. Maybe Barber's. Yes, well, if Snell's ownership percentage or roster percentage is 16%, uh, I account for 14 of it. Because I have him in every single league, and it is, I think, of the 10 leagues, I think I have him in seven. Like, it's just, it was my default. Oh, what round is it? Oh, it's round 14. Benny Snell, let's go. Let's do it. Uh, we'll see here, too, uh, with the James Conner news as we start to get more injury news uh, as today unfolds. But it's great. He looks really good. The The Pittsburgh Steelers running back situation is always a spot where it's, it's very solid. So I think that you have... A unique opportunity here to get a guy that is going to contribute, even if Connor comes back and plays. But time, if Connor does miss any significant time, that guy can really boost up. If you're looking for guys who have the best chance of playing time, I think it's Malcolm Brown. I think it's Naeem Hines still more than Benny Snell because Connor is still theoretically there. And maybe they were just kind of being on the safer side of him. I'm with you in terms of upside. Benny Snell probably has the most. Adrian Peterson, I think, is going to get a fair amount of looks, too. I think a lot of people are going to be looking and saying, oh, okay, well, it's going to go right to DeAndre Swift now. But if you watch the game, there's still some deficiencies there with DeAndre Swift. So don't discount Adrian Peterson. Is it a long-term solution? No, but I think it's the perfect solution for a Le'Veon Bell owner. That's exactly the guy that I would be all in on because I do think in the next month, he might be the most consistent in terms of volume of any of these guys. And the full point PPR, I think you do have to pay close attention to Naheem Hines. Um, Danny Woodhead was basically an RB2 for the years he played with Phillip Rivers. He is a more athletic version, a faster version of that same sort of back in terms of style. So all these guys are going to get picked up. Maybe Peyton Barber in the deeper league does as well. And you miss out on all of them? Look, who's to say that Peyton Barber can't come up there and have a couple good games? Because I think Antonio Gibson is still figuring out the the position of running back, being a convert from wide receiver in the first place. So give that guy a little bit more time. And in the meantime, Peyton Barber probably is a decent enough guy for the next two weeks if you're desperate in a deeper league for a little bit of running back depth. But that's pretty much how I see this grouping. And don't forget about Josh Kelly either. I think Josh Kelly is going to continue to be somewhere in that 
you know, 40 to 60 yards rushing. He's going to have somewhere around, you know, maybe a dozen carries on the day. And I do think Eckler is going to catch the ball more. You're going to see him getting more involved in the passing game, a little bit of a maybe a, a, a backwards reaction to what happened last week where he didn't catch the ball a whole lot. He had one reception, very un-Eckler-like, but he had a ton of carries. I think that's going to change a little bit here in week two. And I think you'll see Kelly continue to be involved in this offense as well, because Tyrod Tower is going to have to, you know, lean on a bit of running game here. And it's not just going to be Eckler. I think Kelly, especially around the goal line too, is intriguing. So don't lose him in this mix too, of all these guys as we're talking about them. Such disrespect for Frank Gore. Unbelievable. Can't even get a mention on this list. Hm. No, I don't want Frank Gore in my Ross. I, I love Frank Gore. I have nothing but respect for Frank Gore. This is business. It's not personal. Do you really think Frank Gore is going what, to – what's the Frank Gore stat line against the uh, the 49ers here after they lost last week? What, what What's that going to look like for you? 11. carries for 25 yards. <laughs> 11, 36, and a touchdown. If he gives you the touchdown, it's all right. If he doesn't, ooh, that's a tough day at the office. Because you know he's not going to catch yeah, the ball. And PPR Someone's got a tough sell. Who's the other guy I'd there? I'd rather have they Peyton Barber than Frank Gore. Uh, the uh, uh, McKissick, he right? <laughs> no, where's McKissick? In I'm confused. McKissick's in Washington. Yeah. It's all right. It's Washington. Jets perfect. running backs are not what you're looking for this week. You're looking for the guy catching for her and looking for uh, you're looking for uh, Crowder to have another big day. I think uh, game script, game script, excuse me, is going to be pretty clear in that one. All right, let's take a look at the waiver wire at wide receiver. We have Paris Campbell from the Colts, who had a nice game at 26%. We'll see if that was legit or fool's gold. Robbie Anderson of Carolina had a nice connection for a few passes with Teddy Bridgewater. Mike Williams is on the way back for the Chargers, 47% owned. Maybe a stash there. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 5% owned. You can't convince me of him no matter what. Corey Davis at 5%. Uh, Russell Gage for Atlanta, certainly going to get picked up after his big game, no doubt. And then Scotty Miller of Tampa Bay, 6% owned, although I would imagine his numbers will come down a little bit. Uh, maybe Miller's a one-week type deal there, Joe. Uh, but but beyond that, I, I think the names at the top are the more interesting ones. Yeah, though the name that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, though, is Corey Davis, because Corey Davis's first game with Ryan Tannehill was glorious, and then he got hurt again. And all offseason, I've heard anybody talk about Corey Davis, except one person, and that's Eric Young, I co-host over on Fantasy Game Day, and he talked about it right here on Fantasy Sports Day with me just a few weeks ago. And I said, oh, come on, we can't keep doing this to us. He said, no, it's his contract year. This is it. This is his last opportunity to get a contract before he just becomes another guy. And week one was pretty good for Corey Davis. Now, what's the carryover? I don't know. None of us know. But if you're in a deeper league and you're desperate, I think it's worth a fire at this point. It's probably only going to cost you a couple bucks to find out. Stick it on your roster. See if it works. I'm not saying you got to spend 10, 15 bucks on it, but you could probably spend two or three, pick up Corey Davis and just see if maybe, just maybe, uh, he does become a little bit better of an option in fantasy than he's been in the last few years. It was never talent. It was always health and quarterback play. And the quarterback play has gotten better. If his health has gotten better, that's something to keep in mind. Paris Campbell is definitely going to be the first guy added in most leagues if he's still available. Still, the fact that he wasn't owned in as many leagues as this was kind of surprising to me or rostered. I, I would have thought he would have been rostered in closer to 40% of leagues. I was kind of surprised by this number. Uh, Robbie Anderson was a coin flip in most leagues because there was a big narrative out there that Teddy Bridgewater couldn't throw the ball deep. Well, Teddy Bridgewater threw the ball deep enough and Robbie Anderson was able to get open. And I think once again, you're looking at a game script in week two 
where the the very possible that they could be behind in this game and in some sort of a potential, you know, <laughs> at least potential shootout on their end against Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay played very well against McCaffrey last year in both games. So all of a sudden, Robbie Anderson becomes an intriguing play, I think, in this one. I think you're right. Gage is probably one of those one-off guys, too, that maybe Hayden Hurst gets a little active this one. But with Van Der Esch out, uh, that Cowboys defense, I think, is on the weak side right now. And I, I do think that you're going to see a ton of points in this game as well. So there's opportunity for Gage. MVS, I'm curious, $100 budget, where would you go? How much would you be willing to spend on MVS, a guy who's burned us all before? Is what we're seeing for real? Do you want to go eight bucks of a hundred dollars on him? How much would you be willing to spend in a full point PPR for Marquez Valdez Scantling? Zero. Zero. Ooh, not in. You are tough. Not in at all. Not in at all. No, not in at all. Wow. Lazard. Lazard? I'd rather have Lazard. Yeah. Yeah. Him, I bet well, I'd been a few. Yeah. I've already got Lazard on. He, him and Betty Snell are like a duo. They hang out on all my teams and they hang out together and sometimes they play cards together in the clubhouse. It's fun. It's nice that they get to do that kind of stuff together. But both of them might be seeing some playing time this week in a couple of those leagues that I'm in that I've got them. So yeah, the we'll Packers numbers have to come zero. back. Better. Yeah, zero. and pa- Packers can continue fuck? to do what they did. I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. But uh, I, I think Lazard could be a guy. I mean, that, it, it, he could be a wide receiver three. I mean, that's definitely possible. Uh, you know, people forget Jordy Nelson was a thing for many years, too, in Green Bay. And no one will talk about him much anymore. Okay, let's go quickly to the tight ends here. This is the first time in 2020 fantasy sports today in the fantasy football season happens to me in baseball. It's happened to me now in football. Today is the day, September 16th. I see a name. I don't know who he is. Uh, here we go. O.J. Howard, 11% owned. Logan Thomas, 1% for Washington. Greg Olson, 18%. Dalton Schultz, 0%. Who is Dalton Schultz? <laughs> Dalton Schultz is the tight end for the Cowboys who did see some playing time and actually a few receptions in that game uh, against the Rams on site. And he had pretty good. I mean, all right. And it, it's just funny to always think it's in that offense to the tight end. And I think for me, I was sitting back to see how those go. And obviously, with Blake Jarwin getting hurt, that was not how I wanted to get off on the right foot here. However, if you are in a premium league and you tight end, let's say Jarwin, I think you do pick him up. If you uh, had Njoku or something like that in those tight end premium leagues, you pick him up. Again, this is more specific. We're talking 14 to 16 team leagues. We're talking about tight end premiums, those kind of scenarios. You get extra points for tight ends getting first down. And a lot of that, like Scott Fishball, exists, believe it or not, nowadays. However... I think Logan Thomas is the guy to really focus on. That guy got a ton of action this game, a ton of targets. He was on the field a ton. I think that is a guy to keep in mind to get him now before he has another good game because if he does, forget it. The price is going to go through the roof for him. And look, I think O.J. Howard can be viable in fantasy potentially. Throw a dollar or two just to see what happens because he could become waiver wire uh, trade fire at some point. You lost me at Dalton Schultz. I didn't hear anything after that. Be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. we got a stacked fantasy fall hour coming up for you next. Dr. Chow, pro football doc, will be with us in about 15 minutes. Adam Beasley from the Miami Herald covering the Miami Dolphins on a daily basis at the games and on the road is going to join us 
and talk about when we could potentially see Tua at quarterback. Speaking of which, Joe, the offensive rookie of the year over at the FanDuel Sportsbook is always interesting. You and I burned some money last year on Gardner Minju, and maybe we'll burn some money again this year. Let's take a look at the updated odds for rookie of the year. And it certainly was not as clear-cut last year as it is this year. As Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a two-to-one favorite. So if you do not believe in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you could make some money this year because Joe Burrow is three-to-one. Jonathan Taylor is almost at ten-to-one. We're only in week two. Anything can happen. He's eight-and-a-half-to-one. Tua is at 13-to-one. CeeDee Lamb, after a very nice week one, is 15-to-one. They've adjusted that, certainly. Henry Ruggs of the Raiders is probably about where he was at the start of the season as 15-to-1. And then, of course, J.K. Dobbins is 15-to-1. FanDuel also has some long-shot options beyond these. But, Joe, you know, for me, it's not about Hilaire. It's about looking to see if there's an opportunity for somebody to overcome Hilaire. And I'm not a huge Jonathan Taylor fan, but I got to tell you, he's got a great opportunity in front of him here. And if he's better than I think he is... That seems to be where I see the value here. How about you? No, I, I I hate to agree with you, but I have to. I mean, it would take an injury probably for Clyde Edwards-Alaire to not win this award, in my opinion. And the two-to-one sounds like, hey, just go and you double up your money and you move on. But now that Taylor has that backfield, not to himself, but certainly more aligned to what he does best, I think without Marlon Mack here for the season, that's certainly that eight and a half to one looks like a pretty good odds. It's certainly better. Uh, Joe Burrow, you know, let's not discount him too. It was a first shot out of the gate. We know quarterbacks can certainly come up and uh, have some great moments too as the season goes on. So I don't want to discount him, but you're right. It's Taylor that has the most appealing odds and now a better path to that award too, potentially. All right, coming up next, we dive into what could be an updated college football season as we have our headlines at the top of the hour. When will the Big Ten be back? We'll tell you next. Also, Dr. Chow will be with us over football injuries. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Stay on the grid. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 